You know, today, I really, uh, I'm excited about this message for you and for, for me and for us as a church, especially if you find yourself in a wilderness. And what I mean by that is you can, everything can be going well in your life, meaning that check the boxes, you know, you're, you're pretty healthy, you've, your finances are in pretty good shape, your family's in pretty good shape, but you can still feel like you're in the wilderness, so we're going to be looking in the book of Exodus, and the book of Exodus, it's an interesting book. We actually started this church by preaching from the book of Exodus. I have no clue why in God's earth I chose the book of Exodus as the first book we would preach, but, it, but God used it, and it was really what we needed. But um, it's a story about Israel leaving Egypt, and they have to go in the wilderness, and because of disobedience, they wandered for 40 years. It's a trip that really could have been, they could have taken probably in about a week to a week and a half if you take the direct route. But you see, sometimes we don't take direct routes into the kingdom, do we? We find ourselves going in circles, going in the wrong direction, and, then, and it's only because God is trying to work Egypt out of us in the wilderness so he can get us into the promised land without Egypt. So I want to give you some things here, and then this morning I got up and I wrote some things that are, aren't in the notes, but I want to read them to you, and I think you're going to, I think you're going to resonate with these things. But, but here's some things that are in the notes. Here's some things I want you to, to just lay claim to and understand. And by the way, if you use the app, all the notes that you'll have that I'll preach from every Sunday, they're in the app before Sunday. So you'll be able to see them at least on Sunday morning before you come in here, rather. You'll be able to read those notes and follow along. So here's, here's the first one. Enemies are essential for victory. Have you ever noticed how when enemies come into your life, and I, I think an enemy is anything or anyone who distracts you from understanding the fullness of God. Anything or anyone who distracts you from understanding the fullness of God. So what happens is, if you don't have an enemy, you never have a victory. Now, now just think about it. It's really simple, right? It's kind of if you don't have a problem, you can't get a miracle because you don't need a miracle because you don't have a problem. But if you don't have an enemy to contend with, then you don't have the opportunity for victory in your life. And one of the things that we enjoy is on the other side of a problem, what we learn from it, right? We go like, I didn't like going through that, but now that I've gone through that, I'm glad I went through that because now I have a bet, there's a better version of me in the world today. You, you see? And so a lot of it is perspective. How are you going to look at life? How are you going to view what's happening in your world? And you can take just the opposite, and it's kind of an oh me, oh my thing. Like, you know, boy, everything's going wrong in my life. I can't believe I'm doing this and this and this. And we've all had that speech, if not on our lips, in our head. But what happens if you change the script? What if you say, this problem that I'm going through right now is going to make me better? I need to learn how to do hard better. Okay, second thing. Difficulty enlarges your capacity. You see, we, we are made to expand. We're made to expand in our thinking. 
in our strength, in our relationships. We're, we're meant to expand in vision, in creativity, in everything. God designed us to expand. And what we have to understand is how can we do that? How can we really lay claim to that and understand that I need to be, I need to have greater capacity in my life. I need to not let the little things tear me up. You know, it's kind of like death by a thousand paper cuts. You can all feel that right now, can't you? The other thing is that risk is essential for everything in life. You started your life, your world, as a child, and every day was a risk. It was a risk. Am I going to crawl? A risk. Am I going to walk? Am I going to ride a bike? What's, I'm going to school. Everything is about risk in life, and that doesn't change. I mean, if you, if you kind of, you know, I always laugh when college students tell me, oh, man, I'm taking 18 hours. I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, this is the paid vacation. <laughs> college is the easiest time in your life. You may not believe that right now because you haven't experienced real life yet. But once the paid vacation is over for four years or five or if you push it into six, you're going to realize that that was pretty good life. Amen? Can I get an amen from a paying parent? All right. All right, now here's some things that I wrote, and I, and I want to I wanna kind of process through, with these through you because they're, they're really fresh, but the wilderness is orchestrated by God. Whatever you're going through in life, it's orchestrated by God. He is always working behind the scenes, bringing people and circumstances together in order to work his divine plan. The enemy does not want you to remember the vision of God. You see, if you can go through life and get God out of your windshield or out of your rearview mirror, either way, he's just not, he's not a, a, a factor in your life, then he's won the battle. God has to be central in everything you do. You have to think God, you have to see God, you have to talk to God, you have to love God. But you see what the enemy do, he will distract you or discourage you so that you miss out on what, what is God's best for your life. If God created us, and he did, and God, then God knows how we function the very best, right? So why wouldn't it make sense that God then knows how I can function best on a daily basis, not just in creation or at death in eternity, but every day of my life? Your greatest enemies are not circumstances or difficulties along the way, but the voice on the inside of you that says you are a failure or it can't be done. And part of what happens in our, in our humanity is we hear that voice even if we're strong and even if we know it's not true. I don't know what I'm going to do. Have you ever said that? A million times. I don't think I can do this. Have you ever said that? Probably. Man, I just don't, I feel like I'm just posing and this, this ride I'm on is a fantasy and it's gonna end and I'm gonna be broke and, and I'm gonna be, everybody's gonna know that I'm just not who I thought I was. Some variation of that scenario has probably been played out in your life sometime in your life, if not on a daily basis. Just recognize it for what it is. It's not coming from God. It's coming from the fallenness of humanity and the enemy of your very soul. 
All right, now listen carefully to this next section. One of the mysteries of favor, that is God's favor in your life, is divine appointments that enable you to enter new spheres of authority. Sometimes you'll use this word coincidence. That word actually does not exist in the Hebrew language. So when you read Bible, when you read Old Testament, there is no word that even even comes close to saying a coincidence because everything was from God. So when you meet somebody, just recognize that that was some kind of a divine appointment. It might be for their benefit or for your benefit or both. But that was not random. That was not a coincidence. That was not accidental. And the stewardship of that meeting, you have to determine whether it's going to be successful or not. God can give it to you, but he's going to say, what are you going to do with it now that I gave it to you? My wife and I were talking the other day. I said, how many of those have we had that we've neglected? And I would say many. Personally, I don't like to admit that, but it's true. I probably neglected a lot of those. I don't want to neglect those. I want to be, I want to be in sync with those. As the assignment from God grows, so does the measure of authority and favor. So as you are faithful in that stewardship of that thing, what happens is God's going to increase your favor and expand your assignment. And, and you might say, how do I put that practically into my, my life right now? Think about what your greatest opportunities and what your greatest challenges are and say, God, I want to be a better steward of those. That's all you have to do, just start there. God, will you bring people and situations and circumstances into my life that are going to help me, reinforce me, and, and propel me into my future? See, just talk to God in a very practical way. This is not like super mystical you know, it's not like, gosh, I don't know. It's so euphoric. I don't even know where to go with it. I don't even know how to spell euphoric. <laughs> but you have to come down and say, God loves you. God created you. And God wants you to be the very best version of you that you can be. Then what happens in this process is God touches the hearts of people around you so that they join you in your vision. That's what happens. You'll say, how, how did this person come into my life? I don't even know how this person came into my life. Well, God just brought him into your life. And there's a, there's a divine attraction that happens. It's, it's miraculous. The favor of God will come upon you and make you the right connection with the right people at exactly the right time. All right. With that setting, let me tell you the story uh, that we're going to talk about today, and I, it'll set up, this was setting up this message. So remember, Israel has come out of the wilderness, and they come to a place called Rephidim. And Rephidim means resting place. It's anything but that. When they get there, the people are thirsty, and they're angry with Moses. And they say, you've brought us out of the wilderness, uh, out of Egypt, into the wilderness, and we're going to die of thirst, and they're complaining, and God, and Moses goes to God and says, God, these people are going to kill me. There's no water. And he says to Moses, what's in your hand, and his, what's in his hand is the rod of God. Remember the rod of God is what he lifted and the Red Sea parted? Okay. 
He said, what's in your hand? I want you to go over and strike that rock, the rock of Oreb. So he goes over and he strikes the rock and out of the water and water comes out of the rock. Then the ancient enemy of Israel shows up, the Amalekites. Amalek is the enemy of God, and here's why. When they were leaving Egypt, the Amalekites, instead of being, let's say, integritous in their warfare, they would go to the very back of this line and they would begin to pick off the weak and the young, and they would kill them. They were also highly engaged in sorcery, evil practices. And they were always attacking. And so guess what happens? The minute the water shows up, guess who shows up? The Amalekites. Whenever water starts flowing from your life, when, with, with, when you have that within you, that, that living water flowing out of you, you can expect the Amalekites to show up, right? Because they want to dam up the river. They want to stop the flow. They want to keep you from flourishing in your certain experience. So now, all of a sudden, Amalekites show up, and now we pick up the story because they had an unexpected attack. Moses thought it was bad enough that here we are, we have no water, everybody's mad at me, but now the enemy shows up, and guess what? Have you ever had an unexpected attack? Like, where'd that come from? All right. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 and 9. Now, Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim, and Moses said to Joshua, choose, up, choose some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. That's the strategy. Go choose some men. He didn't say send all the army. You pick the right people. By the way, did you know that leadership in the Bible is always chosen, never volunteered? Isn't that interesting? Jesus chose 12, right, to be disciples. One of them was a dud. <laughs> All right. But he says, I want you to go, and I'm going to stand on the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And all of a sudden, we, we begin to see in our life there's unprovoked attacks that come against us, and we don't even know why. You can be doing the very best job you can in your, in your workplace, in your school, in your community, wherever you are. Everything you're doing is right, and all of a sudden, you get an unprovoked attack. You think, where did that come from? I mean, I never did this person. I never say anything. I never, where did that come from? Well, you see, the enemy sees the life of God in you and wants to stop the life of God in you. So what do you do? You, you have two choices. I can stop the life of God, stop the attack, or I can just say, I'd like to have more life. Because if I get more waters of living water, rivers of living water coming out of me, I'm going to wash the enemies out. Amen? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. What do I do? I resist him. And I stand steadfast in my faith. What do I do? I say no, and my faith goes up. Steadfast in my faith, knowing that the same suffering, you're not alone. You ever felt all alone? You're like, I'm the only guy going through this in the history of the world. I, guys are great about this. They'll come and say, you know, look, I, I really blew it. I've done something. I don't know. God's probably going to strike me dead. And then they'll tell me what it is. And I go, that's it? I got like 10 guys who have done worse things than that. You're, you're like an amateur here in this thing. 
But we tend to exaggerate things in order to somehow make our sin acceptable across the board. Guess what? God just wants you to be pure and faithful. If you were impure and unfaithful yesterday, would you just get it right today? Because God washes all that stuff behind you. You might remember it. Your neighbor might remember it. Your spouse or friend might remember it. But guess what? God forgets it. He said every day is new with God. Isn't that good news? Now, that's not a license to do bad stuff. So, uh, yeah, tomorrow I'm great. I'm going to see what I can get away with today with God without the you know, lightning bolt hitting me. No, it's, it's, it's the idea that learn from that and, and begin to, to set yourself apart to be holy unto the Lord. So resist him, be steadfast, knowing the same suffering is experienced by your brotherhood around the world. So people are going through what you're going through, but they have the same resource you do, the Holy Spirit. The other thing I've noticed is the enemy targets your wealth. Now watch this, because this is really interesting. Rephidim means the place of rest, and yet it was here that Moses struck the rock of Horeb and got what? Wealth, water. Do you realize how valuable water was in the desert? It was like you'd rather have water than gold. You see, and there are things in your life that are more valuable than gold. That's your wealth. That's your wealth. If you've got a friend, that's wealth. If you've got gold, that's wealth. True. But if you've got family, you've got friends, you've got church, you've got peace, you've got health, is that not wealth? Amen? And what happens is the enemy is going to attack the things that are important to you. This is what happened to Job. Here's Job in the first chapter. And Job, you know, all of a sudden... Satan shows up and he says to God, have you consent, you know, no one serves you for not. And he says, what about my servant Job? He said, no, you put a hedge around him and you protect him and that's why he's loving you and that's why he's serving you. Remove the hedge and he'll, he'll curse you. And God says this, which is really weird. You can go ahead and do anything to Job you want, but just don't kill him. That's when you don't want to be remembered by God. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, you get a few chapters into this, and his wife says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? Because look at you, you're miserable. He says, you speak as a foolish woman speaks. Shall we accept good from God and not adversity? When he has tried me, I will come forth like gold. Now think about that. This is the heart of Job. But Job didn't really fully understand. When you get to chapter 42 of Job, the last chapter, by the way, Here's what he says. He looks at Job and he says uh, to one of his friends, he says, Eliphaz, you have not spoken as has my servant Job. And then he looks at, at, uh, at Job and Job says, I heard of thee with the hearing of the eye, but, but now my, uh, the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. He says, you see, Job came to an understanding of who God really was. He thought he knew who God was in chapter one, but in chapter 42, he came to realization. Then, watch this. This is really good. It says, when Job prayed for his friends, God restored the fortunes of Job fourfold. He didn't do it until he prayed for his friends. Do you realize that bitterness towards someone else can stop the flow of wealth in your life? And I'm not talking about financial. I'm talking about all those other things we talked about. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, if you have bitterness towards someone in your heart, you need to release that right now. You say, well, they don't deserve it. No, and neither do you. 
I'm just saying, amen? Jesus said, if you don't forgive others your trespasses, neither will I forgive their trespasses against me. Well, what if they're not here? What if they won't talk to me? What if they're dead? doesn't matter. It's not about them. It's about you. God, I want to release that problem. I want to release that pain. I want to release that difficulty. I want to release that in Jesus' name. I ask the healing of God. I fully forgive them, whether they ever forgive me, whether they ever acknowledge it again. It's not about them. It's about you. It's always about you. Just get it right. Amen? See, Jesus said this in John chapter 10 and verse 10. He said, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But on the other hand, I have come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. So if you're not living an abundant life right now, then the thief is trying to steal something from you and you're letting him get away with it. Just put your foot down and say, you know, you're not going to steal from me anymore. I'm going to stand with God, for God, and I'm going to let the abundance of life, God, give me everything I need in life. Amen? All right, now next, divine dependence. Exodus chapter 17, Joshua did as Moses said to him, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Now, this is really interesting. He goes up on the hill. He's got two friends with him, Aaron and Hur, and Hur's a guy. Did you get that? All right. They had different names back in those days. Okay, now. So they go up there, and he's got the rod of God. But the rod of God without dependence on God was not enough. Your history with God without your faith is not enough. The emblem of that or the picture of that was lifted hands. Why? Because it was dependency. It was a symbol of dependency. It actually comes from a Hebrew word, yada, which means to thrust forth the hands. It's actually where we get the word Judah, which is praise. When I lift my hands up, I'm, I'm praising God. Now, some of you say, I'm not lifting my hands for nothing. It's okay. It's okay. But make sure your heart's lifted. You with me? It's okay. I mean, the expression of your worship is yours, and you get to control it, and you get to guide it, but make sure that when you're lifting that, if others lifting your hand, make sure you're at least lifting your heart and saying, I am totally dependent. You know, when a, when a police officer arrests someone, they tell them to put their hands up. You know why? That's surrender. When I put my hands up, I'm saying, I'm surrendering to you, God. I'm just, I, I can't do this without you. So you trust in God's divine strategy. You have to get a message from God and say, God, what is your strategy in this situation? It doesn't matter. If you're selling something, you ought to be praying, God, what's your divine strategy? If you're teaching, you're, you're in a classroom, God, what's your divine strategy to impact this class? If you're building a company, God, what's your divine strategy in this situation? Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Now, here's what happens. We say, I'm a Christian. Now, I'm going to go make some great plans. Okay? Now, that's, that's good. But what if you did this? What if you said, I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart, but I'm not going to lean to my own understanding. I'm going to ask myself, how much of this is me, and how much of it is, not, is God? 
God, could you show me something new in this situation that would accelerate what I'm doing in my business, in my job, in my life, in my family, whatever? Because I don't want to lean on my own understanding. I want to lean on the understanding of God. Then in all my ways will I acknowledge him. And when I acknowledge him, he directs my path. So you see there's a process here. In order for me to get to direct your path, I need to trust in the Lord with all my heart. Lean not in my own understanding. In all all my ways acknowledge him. There's three steps right there. And what's the result? He will direct my path. Sometimes he'll direct your path in a different way. You'll go, well, I never even saw this path. This is so revolutionary. How did this happen? And this is the way God wants to work. You also have to surround yourself with the right people. Aaron and her were the right people for Moses. I'm going to suggest that everybody needs at least two people in their life that are the equivalent of Aaron and her. You see, Aaron was a priest. Aaron was, in today's words, he was a pastor. Or we could say someone who really knows God and walks. You need to have somebody in your life who really knows God, walks with God to be on one side of you, and you need to have someone on the other side who is supportive and not telling you yes to everything you come up with. There's also something, we talked about the 12 disciples. I have something called the rule of 12, and here's how it works. Remember, there's only three disciples that really were there all the time, Peter, James, and John. So you got three, now here's the rule, you got three in your life who will be completely dedicated and solid with you. You'll have eight who will be along for the ride, because you don't hear much about the other eight guys. And then you'll have one who will betray you. It's a rule of 12. Check it out. Go through your, your relationships, and I think you're going to find out it's going to be just like that or pretty darn close. The danger happens when you identify Judas as a friend and you start listening to him or her. The other danger comes when you treat the eight like the three. You got to have the three in your life, that's your inner circle. Your inner circle are the ones that are going to pray for you, encourage you. They're going to want be the ones that tell you the truth and not tell you what you want to hear. If you've got a friend, when you come up with some crazy idea and you tell your friend, they go, oh, yeah, that sounds great. If that's their words, do not ask them for advice ever again. <laughs> because that's, a, that's too easy. What you want to have is a friend to say something like this. Walk me through how that makes sense because I'm not seeing it. Does that paper out? Can you monetize that? Do you have to compromise any of your character to do that? These are the kind of questions you have to ask. These, I believe, are the ones that you have. Guess what happens in the next chapter of the book of Exodus? Jethro comes to Moses and says, you need to get some godly men around you to help you make decisions. You see how God amplifies this? You can't be all alone on this thing. And then keep your mind and your heart focused. Keep your, keep your mind focused on what you're doing. Now watch this. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed, who stayed on you because he trusts in you. When your mind, you say, this is what I'm doing. I've already gone through, I've already checked this out with, with godly wisdom. I've got the right people around me. Now, I got to stay focused on what I'm doing. 
You know, there's an interesting scripture. It says, do not associate those uh, with those who are subject to change. That's interesting, isn't it? In other words, if you have someone in your life who's always changing and always moving, always doing, always, you know, they, they just can't figure life out, the Bible says that's a warning sign. Stability is a mark of righteousness. Steadfastness is a mark of righteousness. Dwell in the land, it says in Psalm 37. Dwell in the land, cultivate righteousness. So I'm dwelling in the land, I'm cultivating righteousness. I'm gonna delight myself in the Lord, it says. And then what? He will give me the desires of my heart. But it starts with dwell in the land. Create stability in your life. Supernatural victory. That's what you have in this story. That's what we want in life, amen? I want to be, be able to look at a victory and say, it only happened because of God. I listened to God, and then God used me, and I put my best skills together, and it was just like a winning combo. I love that, but all glory goes to God. Exodus 17. But Moses' hands became weary. You ever done that? We're on the fourth praise song, and your hands up, and you're going like, I got I to get to the gym. You go to the gym, what exercise you need? I just need one that I can hold my hand up for 30 minutes. That's all I need. Why? I'm praising God. I got, I'm getting weak. And about 15 in, I'm getting weak. I need praise aerobics. But Moses' hands became heavy, and they took a stone. They put it under him. So he's going to sit on the stone. He sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands. That could be a whole new ministry here. You can't hold your hands up. We got a couple of people come alongside. Hold that guy's arms up. He's getting weak about the second song. They support his hands, one on one side, one on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And then it says, Moses built an altar and called the name, The Lord is my banner. You know what a banner is? It's a flag. It's something you lift up and you celebrate. Amen? And so what happens here is that they, they, they stayed the course. They stayed with it. They stayed with the fight. They said, I'm not going to give up because it gets hard. I'm not going to give up because I don't get support. I'm not going to give up in any situation. What I'm going to do is I'm going to stay the course and if I need my friends to come along tight and lift me up, lift my hands up so I keep praising God, because I guarantee you down in that valley where Joshua and the men were fighting, I guarantee you they were constantly looking up and seeing, is our leader still there? Is the rod of God still there? Are they still lifting their hands? Is he still lifting his hands to God? I, I want to follow someone who's still lifting his hands to God. Amen? You know, amen? Stay the course. Stay true. You see, sometimes you just have to outlast your enemy. Just to outlast them. I don't have any other strategy. I'm just gonna last, I'm just gonna outlast you. I'm not gonna quit. I'm not gonna give up. This is a principle in prayer, isn't it? You stay with it. Don't give up. Don't give up. And then celebrate victories together. I think this is one thing we don't do enough of is how do we celebrate? We had a great victory, and we mention it, and then we move on. 
We need to kind of enjoy a little bit. Amen? Just kind of enjoy. Gosh, this is great. And just retell it. Retell it. Do you realize how many times that, you know, God says when you get your children and you get them when they wake up in the morning, you tell them about what God did. And then when they get ready for lunch, you tell them about what God did. And when they go to sleep, you tell them about what God did. Why? Because we, we have to remember the victories because we're so attacked by the defeats in life. Because there's so many challenges of life. You gotta, you gotta keep remembering the good stuff, amen? You gotta celebrate the goodness of God, amen? All right, well, let's, let's stand together. And I, I wanna pray a blessing over you. Then I want us to sing like we've got victory. How's that sound? Does that sound good to you? Can you sing? I heard you singing earlier. I thought it was great, right, amen? Heavenly Father, I pray the blessings of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob over every person in this room. I pray, Father, that you will give them wisdom and understanding that comes from you, that they'll be able to dig gold out of their life. They'll be able to make wonderful things for themselves, for their future, for their family, and for the glory of Almighty God. Father, we take authority over the enemy right now in Jesus' name. We stand on the promises of God, in the faith of God, on the word of God, believing that nothing, nothing can overtake us when we're with you. That nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Not things present nor things to come. We give you the glory, Father. We ask you, God, to touch the hearts of those who are wrestling and trying to find God today. We pray, God, that you'll just lean into God and call upon his name so as to be saved. If that's your heart, just call on his name right now and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, save me. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. If you'll call on his name, he'll save you this instant.